All right. Hey, VVCC. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. A lot of good things going on. Well, hey, we are so glad you are here. Wow. You make all things work together for my future, for my good. Do you believe that this morning? Goodness. So I want to tell you about something that took place a little while back. Ludwig von Beethoven wrote his Symphony Number no. 9 way back in the 1800s. And after working on it in the process, he lost his hearing. And so by the time May 7th, 1824 came around, he was completely deaf. And in the midst of this song, and it takes place about 60 to 75 minutes, depending on how fast your orchestra plays it, it starts off quiet, and it starts off kind of slow, and then as time goes on, it gets louder and louder, and throughout you hear whispers, you hear these moments that lead up to the big moment. And somewhere around 57 minutes into this beautiful piece, we get to the Ode to Joy. And it comes out like a thunderous chorus, and it's absolutely breathtaking. In the story of God, we see these whispers, these moments that build up over time to this incredible, amazing moment, the highlight. And that highlight is Jesus Christ. You see everything from creation and the fall and the flood and as Israel continues to be established, it all builds up to Jesus, this great, incredible, beautiful, breathtaking moment. Everything in the story reality, everything in life, everything in God's word points to Christ. And in fact, that's going to be our main point for this morning is simply this. Everything points to Christ. Everything points to Christ. And so during our time this morning, we are going to dive into this incredible story that we see in Genesis chapter 22. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And we're going to look in this, we're going to deep dive into it and be reminded of this truth that everything points to Christ. And before we dive in, would you pray with me? Lord God, we love you. Thank you for this moment right here where we get to sit here and we get to proclaim how good, how awesome you are with Bibles open. We've just proclaimed your greatness in song. We've just experienced communion. And now, God, as we still can taste the, the cracker and the juice, and we now just get to lean in into your word. So, Lord, would you speak to us? God, we don't come in here as a blank canvas. We come in here with things going on this week. Good and bad, hard and great. And Lord, would you speak to each one of my friends this morning? Would you use this time for their good, for your glory? Help us to walk out of here a little more in love with you. A little more like you. And Lord, we thank you so much that you do work all things together for our good, for our future, and for your glory. We give this time to you right now as an act of worship. 
And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Everything points to Christ. So let's look at Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God tested. It's so interesting. God tested. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we continue on. And he tests this guy, Abraham. Now, Abraham comes onto the scene around Genesis 12, and God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says, your descendants are going to be huge. They're going to be as vast as the grains of sand on the seashore. I've got a plan for you, a future for you. And it's going to come through your lineage. One problem, Abraham has no kids. And as time goes on, they still don't have kids. And in fact, Abraham and his wife Sarah are are quite advanced in age. And so by the time you fast forward a few chapters, by the time their son Isaac, which means laughter, comes onto the scene, it's a big party. It's a big miracle. God has fulfilled his promise. This Isaac is going to continue our lineage. We're going to see that promise that God gave in Genesis 12 come to fruition. But in verse 1, God tests Abraham. And Abraham responds, as I think we all should, we try to, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of testing, here I am. Here I am, God. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm your servant. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Wait, wait, wait. The, the one that was promised to me, God? The one that I waited for? The one meaning laughter? Take him and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Can you imagine what's going through Abraham's mind in this moment? Can you imagine what he's feeling, what he's thinking? This doesn't make any sense, God. And Abraham doesn't have what we have. We have all of God's word. We've gotten to know and experience Jesus Christ and know the gospel. Abraham has known God for, well, what we see in his word, 10 chapters. And he goes, what? Now, as we continue on in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He doesn't waste any time. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. Can you imagine as Abraham's alarm clock goes off? I know they didn't have alarm clocks, but you know, his alarm clock goes off and he just goes, was that real? I'm actually supposed to do this? Imagine what he's thinking as he gets out of bed that morning. He gets up, he loads his donkey, gets two of his servants and his son Isaac, And he cuts the wood for the burnt offering. Imagine Abraham chopping the wood. And he's thinking, this wood is going towards the offering of my son. 
When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him. So he sets off to Moriah and told him about. So chapter 22, verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. So this isn't just right away, God testing Abraham and it happens in a split second and he's done. No, he has to get up early and he travels three days. So three days, two nights, three days of a journey to the region of Moriah. Imagine as you are walking with your son, thinking, we're going to sacrifice him. And going back to that, that last slide there on verse 4, says, Abraham looked up. The, the writer, I, I was reading this this week, a commentator said, when you say looked up, it's like they're inviting, the writer's inviting you into Abraham's eyes to see what he is seeing. Abraham looks up and he sees the place in the distance, the place he is to sacrifice his child, Isaac. And if you look here at this map, you're going to see Beersheba, where Abraham and Isaac are coming from, and they're going up to Moriah, so about a three days journey away, which, real quick too, how cool is it as we read God's word? Like, these are real places, because this really happened. This is incredible to think about. So, you know, let's keep knowing our geography, let's keep knowing our maps, let's keep knowing our background, let's keep making this story of reality real. So start in Beersheba, go up to Moriah. Abraham looks up and he sees it. Sorry, in verse five, Abraham says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So he tells the servants, stay here. I'm gonna go. Isaac's coming with me. And he says, we will worship. I didn't see any guitar in the story, right? I, did, I didn't see any musical instruments, but Abraham says we will worship. In the midst of our tests and our trials and our tribulations, you and I have the opportunity to worship God. What is worship? It's lifting him up. It's beholding his face. It is saying, God, you are so good. It's all the things we did and are doing this morning. And Abraham says, we're going to go and worship. In the midst of the most challenging test Abraham faced, we're going to worship. And then he says something so interesting. We will come back to you. We. I wonder if, I wonder if Abraham had enough faith in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that he knew somehow this was going to work out. He didn't understand it. All he had was, Abraham, you need to sacrifice your son. But he had faith that it was going to work out. In fact, I don't just wonder that. In Hebrews chapter 11, we know that the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham had so much faith in God that he knew he could raise him from the dead. He could raise Isaac from the dead if need be. Abraham had faith. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. He didn't have the blueprint for it all but he knew it was going to work out. And in a room this size, you think about all the different things that we have going on, situations that are happening, tests and trials, and you don't have the blueprint. You don't know how it's going to work out. And yet somehow, some way, you have faith that God will 
provide. We're going to worship, and then we will come back to you. Look with me in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. Wow. The very wood that he chopped a few days ago puts it on his son Isaac. Now, this is also an indicator that Isaac is, is no, you know, small child. He's carrying firewood. You need to have some muscle to do that, to carry it up a mountain. So it gives us also a glimpse maybe into Isaac's age. And Abraham himself, this is very emphatic language, Abraham, he himself carried the instruments that would be used to sacrifice his son. He carried the fire and he carried the knife. Continue on in verse 6, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. You think about it, right? Isaac is starting to do some calculations here. He's doing some inventory and he's going, hmm, something's missing, dad. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? This is a question that we will ask ourselves later on and where Isaac is asking now, where is this lamb? Look at Abraham's response. I love this in verse eight. Abraham says this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Look at Abraham's faith here in the midst of this test. God himself will provide the lamb. Again, whatever we're going through in this room, the test, the trial, we don't necessarily have the blueprint, but boy, we can learn something from Abraham. God himself will provide. And the two of them went on together. Look with me in verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So they get to this place that God had told him, hey, okay, you're going to the region of Moriah, and he specified at some point, we don't have that here in our passage, but at some point God said this specific place now on Moriah. He leads him there, and he builds an altar. An altar would just be probably a bunch of stones put together. An altar is really meant to memorialize, to commemorate, and eventually we see in, in the Old Testament and the Pentateuch, it's to sacrifice. And so he puts these stones together. Again, this isn't a quick test. Think about it as he's grabbing the rocks, he's putting them together, he's building his altar up, and then he takes the wood from Isaac he arranges it together. And then he does something I'm sure no, he never thought he would have to do. And of course, no dad wants to do to their son. He binds his son Isaac and he lays him on that altar on top of the wood. Now, we've already established that Isaac is no, no young child. He's able to carry the wood. He's able to have that conversation with his dad going, hey, we're, we're missing something, dad. So he's old enough. Abraham is over 100 years old. I'm going to assume that Isaac could probably take his dad at that point. 
Which, sidebar, do you, do you guys, so any, any sons, do you remember like when you could finally take your dad, right? Like when you could wrestle him, you know, or you could arm wrestle him or, you know, it's just, oh, that's such a good day. And those of you sons that aren't old enough yet, your day will come, don't worry. But Isaac can take his dad and yet he stays put. This story, I think, is just as much about Isaac's willingness and obedience as it is Abraham's. And we get to verse 10. Then he reached out, Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. This is all kind of happening in slow motion, the way that the writer is putting it. He reaches out his hand. He takes the knife to slay, very emphatic word, his son. And so if you're reading this for the first time, you're on the edge of your seat. You're thinking, what is going to happen? God, would you intervene? And sure enough, we see what happens next in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And just like in the beginning of our story, he says, here I am. The angel of the Lord. So we see the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. And basically, it, you know, some people say that it's just, maybe it's a manifestation of God's presence. It's God there. Or maybe it's maybe just a representative. It's an angel. It's a representative of God. Or maybe, maybe it is Christ himself. It's Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. I tend to lean to that one. It's beautiful to think about. The angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. Look in verse 12 with me. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham hears the voice of the angel. He stops. Thank goodness he could hear, right? Thank goodness he didn't miss that cue from the angel. Do not lay a hand on the boy because you have not withheld from me your son. I know that you fear God. Imagine what's going through Abraham's mind in this moment. The relief But in Abraham's heart, he had already done it. He was prepared to do it because he said, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to follow through on this test. And God says, you've proven it to me. He blesses Abraham for that, as we're going to see later on. So in verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I bet the bleeding, bleating, is that what a ram does? Bleat? Bleating? You know, the sound that, okay, I see some head nods. I thought so. Okay. Yeah, I bet the sounds this ram made were music to Abraham's ears. It was probably like an ode to joy kind of moment as he hears the ram behind him and he sees that the ram is caught in a thicket. And so, notice this. He took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering. What's that next word after offering? Instead of his son. 
The ram took the place of Isaac instead of. So you check out this picture of a ram, you kind of see their horns, and it makes sense that a ram could get its horns stuck in a, in a thicket, stuck in a bush. And so Abraham takes that ram, and Isaac is probably a little relieved by this point, wouldn't you say? And then verse 14, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God is a provider. The Lord will provide. Yahweh, Yahweh. Or we also know it as Jehovah, Jireh. The Lord will provide. Anytime you see capital L-O-R-D, all capitalized, it refers to Yahweh, his name, the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. You can trust in him that what he says he's going to follow through on. He held his promises back then, and he holds his promises today, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You want to know something interesting about this area, Moriah, this region? Well, we see later on in the Old Testament that the temple is actually built on Mount Moriah. So the ram is provided there. Later on, we fast forward and the temple is built there. You fast forward a little later, quite some time later, and Jesus Christ himself hangs on a cross in that same region outside the walls of Jerusalem, hangs on the cross for you and for me. That's not coincidence. God will provide. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, notice those capital letters again, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together back home to Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Boy, I bet that was such an easier trip home than it was up to the region of Moriah. And so God says, hey, you've done this. I'm going to continue to bless you. You're going to continue to have that fulfillment of the promise. And he talks about the number of sands, the grains of sand on the seashore, and the numbers of stars in the sky. Your, your people will be that amount. You know how much of grains of sand on the seashore are? It's incredible. I Googled it, and I'm not going to share it because I can't pronounce the name of those numbers or the number of stars in the sky just in our galaxy alone. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to fulfill that promise. So we see in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19, the story of Abraham and Isaac, this true story with true people, with true places, and it all points to Christ. So what do we get from this? How does this point to Christ 
and what does this matter for me today? How does the story point to Christ? Well, first of all, Christ took our place. Christ was the sacrificial lamb for you and for me. Christ took our place. You see, Jesus, what we see here is we rewind back to the story. You see Isaac going to Moriah, going to be that offering that God called him to. And God instead provides the ram. Well, all of this foreshadows, all of this points to Jesus himself and what he has done for us. Another way to say this, this is a prototype or a type. A type is something that points ahead. It's a story or a character that points ahead to a future reality. And we see this all over scripture. And Isaac, Abraham and Isaac is a great example of that. Just as Isaac came and he was that willing sacrifice, so Jesus himself hung on the cross for you and I. He was who God provided. When Isaac asks, where is the lamb? God says, I've got the lamb for you. In fact, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist would say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God knew exactly what he was doing in Genesis chapter 22. God knows all that he's doing, the whole story of reality as he points to his son, Jesus, and points to the gospel. And as Jesus says, follow me. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out, it is finished. We know that God knew, the, knew that part of the story long, long before. Check out this quote from the Bible Project in a couple slides here. Both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited beloved sons who are born in miraculous circumstances. Both sons carry the wood that is to be the instrument of their deaths on their backs. And then moving forward, in both stories, the father leads the son up a mountain and the son follows obediently toward his own death. And in both scenarios, God provides a sacrificial substitute, which Abraham says will be a ram or a male lamb. And the New Testament authors identify as Jesus, the lamb of God. There's so many similarities in the story. It is incredible and is beyond merely coincidence. The story of Abraham and Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Christ took our place. How else does a story point to Christ? Christ wants to grow us. He wants to grow us. He loves us too much to leave us where we're at. Christ wants to grow us. How many of you are runners? Do we have any, any runners here? Anybody run? Oh, God bless you people, right? And then any of you maybe run a marathon? So if, if you run a marathon, you don't the morning of that marathon, 26.1 excruciating miles, you don't say, you know, the alarm goes off morning of, you go, all right, I think I'm going to run a marathon. 
No, right? What do you do? You train. You work hard over several months. Apparently, with a marathon, they encourage you to to work your way up to 50 miles a week over a period of four months. It sounds crazy. It sounds like a lot. But when you put a lot of work into it, you train for that. As followers of Jesus Christ, who loves us too much to leave us where we're at, He trains us. He prepares us. He builds up our endurance so we can run this race of life for him. James puts it this way in James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. God is training you. He is equipping you. Just like with Abraham, this was this opportunity for him to grow, for him to build up endurance, to grow closer to God. And we see here, test. There's a big difference between testing and tempting. Tempting comes from the enemy, it comes from the world, it comes from our own sinful nature, but testing comes from God. The source is completely different, and the desired outcome is completely different. Tempting is is the world or the flesh or Satan's way of pulling us away from God. Testing is meant to bring us closer to God. What might God be doing in your life right now? How is he trying to grow you? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in other relationships. What's going on that's hard in your life that maybe he's trying to grow you? What's your Mount Moriah, so to speak? And then what good things are going on? What are the things that are great about life? And maybe God's telling you, hey, put that on the altar, so to speak. Have an open hand about this. Because just like in the story of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac was a great thing, great for Abraham. He was the fulfillment of the promise. But God was telling Abraham, I come first. I am number one in your affections. What good things in life do we need to keep an open hand on? our parenting, again, our marriage, our ministry. And then what needs to go on the altar and stay there? What is it right now in your life that you need to put on the altar and it actually does need to burn? It actually does need to go away. It actually does need to be sacrificed to God. What in your life is God saying it's time to give that up? For myself, I can tend to lean on the side of being anxious. I can overthink and worry and over-process. And as I've dug deep in that and said, God, would you show me what's going on here? Would you help me to put this on the altar? As I dig deep, I realize I have a need of control and realizing that I sometimes don't trust that God has his best in mind for me. 
And so as time has gone on, God has called me, put that on the altar. Put that desire for control, that lack of trust on the altar. Give it up. I will provide. What might God be calling you to put on the altar today? Christ wants to grow us. Finally, what else do we get from this story? Final point is this. We get to share the good news. You and I get to share the gospel with others. And good news is meant to be shared. We get to share the good news. We see this at the end of our story in Genesis chapter 22. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. Guess what? That's us. But we got to keep on sharing. We got to keep on proclaiming. We get to continue on that promise, continuing to make followers of Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do. You may have seen these guys, seen these invite cards lying around. Uh, We've got some at our information center. I want to give you a basic, simple challenge. Would you give these to somebody this week? Would you give this to somebody this week? Your barista, your neighbor, that family member who just hasn't been coming to church or isn't really, you know, maybe they're interested in the idea of God, but they just don't really know. Maybe it's time to give them one of these. It has our information here. It says when our services are. and Hey, I'd love to invite you to come to a church service with me. Would you do that this week? That's my challenge to you. Why? Because good news is meant to be shared. Many of you know that uh, we are expecting a child any day now. <laughs> and uh, hopefully not right, right now. Um, hopefully we'll wait until I get off this, this stage. But we're expecting any day. And when we first found out we were pregnant, what did we do? We didn't keep the news to ourselves. We shared it. We shared it with people. We shared it with our family and our friends. And as time went on, we shared it with the world because we were so excited. Guys, let's share this news. Let's share how excited we are about the gospel. Because again, we see from Abraham and Isaac that it all points to Jesus, the Lamb of God. How can we not share the greatest news of all time? Let's give this to somebody this week. And let's pray over it. God, who do you want me to give this to? Imagine the impact in the Verde Valley. If everybody, every follower of Jesus just invited one person to come to church with them. Imagine maybe the impact. Imagine if we shared the gospel. Imagine what could happen in Cottonwood and in the surrounding area. Imagine. And it starts with you and it starts with me. So at the end of Symphony Number no. 9 from Beethoven, he received a standing ovation. Beethoven was deaf, and he was actually a few measures behind, and so he didn't notice until one of his bandmates came and tapped him on the shoulder and encouraged him to turn around, and he got to take it all 
in. It was a resounding success. And Ode to Joy would continue to be proclaimed and sung and played throughout the world to this day. For you and I, we get to remember this fact that just like Ode to Joy, everything in that symphony pointed to it. Everything in the story of reality, everything in God's word, everything in our lives gets to point to Jesus. So church family, let's keep getting to know this Jesus. Let's keep growing with him. And let's keep sharing Jesus with others. And let's keep enjoying the beautiful sound, the beautiful melody that is the gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. You're so good. You're so great. Jesus, thank you for the story of Abraham and Isaac, and thank you that you ultimately were that Isaac to us. You were the Lamb of God who hung on that cross. And you not only hung there, but you rose from the grave. You reigned victoriously. And Lord, we just want to keep getting to know you more. So Lord, thank you for my friends here in this room, and Lord, I pray that you would just lead us and guide us. Who could we invite? Lord, who can we continue to share this good news with? But we love you, God. We worship you. Again, thank you that you, Jesus, are that lamb of God. And we pray all this in your amazing name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, there's a prayer team on your left here. They are here for you. Anything that you need, come and let's pray. We love you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy this holiday season, and we're excited to continue to get amped up leading up for Christmas. Have a great day.